Sit tight, take hold. A Good Omens Podfic, written by Needed and read by Literarian and Jub. Part 1 of the Hashtag Rainbow Road series. Chapter 18 August Break, London. Part 1 Summary The Calm Before the Storm Content Warnings Explicit Sexual Content Izira opens the fridge and shuts it again. He frowns and in one moment of desperation opens it again, expecting food that isn't a condiment. The door shuts with a clatter, and he groans, rubbing his eyes with the back of his hand. He landed in London late last night, exhausted and stale from the twelve-hour flight. He found the key under the mat, just as Crowley had said, and stumbled into the immaculate Mayfair flats, blurry-eyed and sleep-drunk, making it under the covers. Crowley had stirred and blinked at him before cursing. Shit, I was gonna wake up to greet you, he said, but his era hadn't heard him. He was already asleep. Still, his brain is wired to wake up in spite of the jet lag and Crowley's arm thrown over his chest, face buried in the pillows. So here he stands in the kitchen, with a hand on his hip and a glass of water in the other, no tea bags to be found. He doesn't dare try the complicated espresso maker on the counter, but he's in desperate need of caffeine to clear away the fog of sleep deprivation. And also, there's the matter of the fridge. The first time he was here in this flat, he was too amazed to pay attention to the fact that Crowley subsists on just water and coffee and the occasional takeout. He has a whole booze rack collecting dust under the island and a herb garden upstairs that's mostly for show. He doesn't even have any flour, let alone a carton of eggs. He knows they go long stretches without being home, but it doesn't take too much to stop at the shops for some produce to have a working kitchen. Crowley's workspace is something Izira envies. It looks right out of a home decor magazine with black cupboards and stainless steel knobs hanging over the white marble countertop cascading to the floor. But after rooting through the drawers and cupboards, he only finds a single mixing bowl, a spatula with the tag on it and an unseasoned cast iron skillet hanging on the wall. And then he looks around the rest of the flat, the utilitarian furniture, the surround sound speakers that aren't even plugged into the wall and thinks the whole place is unlivable. It's like walking through a showroom. 
He would half expect the TV to be fake if he hadn't fallen asleep watching the office reruns the last time he was here, blinded by his own drunken haziness. Right. Shower and the trip to Tesco in the works. Izira pokes his head into the bedroom. Crowley sleeps on, mouth open, arms over his head, his freckled torso dipping beneath the deep burgundy sheets. He's wild in sleep, hair tousled and limbs scattered, so different than the person prowling on the track, shoulders hunched and teeth bared. Crowley manages to walk a fine line between boyish and menacing, all smiles when waving for the press, but with the hunger that lets every other driver on the track know that they may be his next meal. Ezira shouldn't find it so attractive, nor should he be endeared to the smear of drool on the pillow and the sunburnt peak of his nose in repose. Then his stomach rumbles, reminding him of his quest. Right. He strips on the way to the shower, an enormous marble-encased contraption that dips into the floor, jets spraying from all directions. Nothing about the flat screams comfortable except for the bathroom with its skylight above the shower head, the air plants and pothos skimming down the walls, which must be a nightmare to clean around, and the hot jets of water perfectly aligned with every sore muscle in his body. The design that went into this masterpiece is sinful, and he groans when he steps inside. He loses a good half-hour standing under the hot wash of water, head tilted upward, looking at the skylight. There's not much sun, but the rain on the glass soothes him, and when he turns off the water, he stands soaking up the lingering humidity, listening to the patter on the glass. Despite having family in England, it's hard to think of this place as home, a place his mother only moved to when he was a teenager. Still, he thinks, with the right company, he could get used to this. Shaking his head, he sends water droplets flying before he grabs a nearby towel, snorting when he sees it's black with a red trim. Surprise, he mutters. Whoever decorated this flat nailed Crowley's theme down, certainly. There isn't a thing that isn't either red or some variant of black. The shower walls are a deep slate. The mirror sits in a dark oval frame. The little bar of hand soap is maroon and smells of sandalwood and cinnamon, an earthy, familiar scent that lingers beneath Crowley's aftershave and makes Ezira's stomach tighten. Right. Stay focused. He wanders into the bedroom naked and sets his suitcase on the bed. The shifting weight on the mattress and whirring zipper cause Crowley to stir, a garbled, 
What are you doing? Followed by an appreciative, Oh, hello, as he blinks awake, taking in the sight of his boyfriend in the nude. Ezira blushes. Your kitchen is empty. Literally empty. I'm running to the shops. Oh no, we'll order in. You don't even have any tea bags. Crowley huffs and throws the covers off. He does a complicated stretch, like a cat in a sunbeam, before slithering down to the foot of the bed, using Ezira's forearms for balance as he pulls himself onto his knees. Like this, they're roughly the same height, and Ezira can see his misshapen pupils and sun-kissed freckles that seem to be pinker and sweeter the deeper into the summer they get. He's only had a few mornings with Crowley, but already they're becoming his favorite. Ezira kisses Crowley's closed mouth, who is unusually chaste and a bit self-conscious over his morning breath. It doesn't take much convincing from Ezira to be let in, licking at the seam of his lips until they part, wet and languid. He presses his nose to the skin of his cheek, rough with stubble, and then drags his mouth along that sharp jawline to the underside of his chin, where his scent is the strongest, reaching down to find Crowley's hand on his waist. With a soft tug, those calloused palms scrape up his chest when Ezira kisses his wrist and in between his fingers. Crowley has dirt under his fingernails. Ezira pictures him fussing in his greenhouse yesterday, waiting for his arrival, bent over the raised beds, sweat and a smudge of dirt on his brow. Crowley has always been a city boy, one for loud nights and throngs of people, but Ezira can imagine him somewhere quieter and softer, where the stars are brighter than the lampposts and the nightingales louder than the whir of traffic. All of a sudden, his desire to run errands disappears, replaced with a desperate need to soak up Crowley's body, his warmth and rough touch and the low, soft keen when Ezira kisses the hollow of his throat. He pulls them flush together, rocking into him. Can I? I want... He bites back a moan and buries his nose in Crowley's shoulder, hips stuttering when he feels the soft, shivery sensation of Crowley's mouth against his ear. He wants to be greedy. He wants to devour him. What do you want, huh? I want to fuck you, he says, low and desperate. Crowley groans and rocks into him. Yeah, he says. Yeah, let's do that. 
He says it like he's thought about their last time together in Montreal as often as Ezira has, and it makes him wonder just what Crowley fantasized about in the weeks between, listening to his breaths over the phone in the same cities, hotels apart, as he brought Ezira off with his voice. I'd like to help this time, he says biting back a curse at the shakiness of his voice. Where's the lubricant? So proper, Crowley teases, pointing to the nightstand. Ezira crawls across the mattress to the other side, reaching into the drawer, just as Crowley drags a hand down his back, cupping his buttocks and squeezing. It sends shivers down his spine, a low groan escaping at the thought that they could try it the other way around. He's not sure if he's ready yet, but he's had several nights alone with whiskey from his hotel minibar while Raf had been with Pepper, curious fingers exploring his own body, wondering what it'd feel like. Penetration has always been a theoretical fantasy for him, something he knew he'd try someday, and he wants to. If the wrung-out orgasms he had by himself are anything to go by, he knows he'll like it, too. But still, he feels a little embarrassed about asking for something he hasn't tried before, especially when it's assumed it's in every gay man's lexicon. With the lube in hand, he turns and faces Crowley. The man oozes confidence, his shoulders relaxed, his eyes open and hungry as they drag down Ezira's body, lingering at the V of his hips. Then he catches the expression on his face. You okay? Yeah, Ezira says. It's just... He waves his hand at him. For Christ's sake, they've already had anal sex before. It shouldn't be this difficult, but then he thinks about Crowley's voice over the phone, low and raw, describing all the things he'd love to do with his mouth in a way that left his era tight and hot and on the brink of orgasm with just a sentence. I'm just not good at this like you. I disagree. Crowley takes the condom and loop from him and sets it back on the nightstand. Great, Ezira thinks as he's guided back down onto the bed. He's fucked up a perfectly good morning shag. Then he's engulfed as Crowley stretches over him, lean muscle and sharp angles, bringing Ezira's hand down to his erection. It's almost an instinct to take it in his hand and tug, breath going shallow, watching Crowley suck in a sharp breath of pleasure. You turn me on so fucking much. You have no idea. I have no clue what I'm doing, 
he admits. Well, what do you want to do? Crowley asks, lips brushing against his cheek. The sensation makes his hips buck, rolling against his thigh, leaving a wet smear of precum on his skin. Izira shakes his head. I don't know. I want to do everything with you. I just don't know how. Tell me. His face burns, hot with embarrassment, and he throws his free hand over his eyes. Crowley allows it, pressing patient, sucking kisses into his neck, panting in time with every stroke on his cock. Izira doesn't know where to begin. If he starts with something small, Will Crowley laugh at him for being so inexperienced? If he dives right in and asks for a proper fucking, will he panic at the last minute? He swallows roughly. How about I start? Crowley asks, waiting for Izira to nod his head. I would like you to fuck my face. Jesus, he forgets how blunt he can be. Izira's hips buck and his hand tightens on Crowley's cock, twisting upward. He can picture it, plunging into that mouth, lips swollen, eyes blown wide. He keens as he listens, grinding into Crowley's stomach the concave dip of heat that presses against his cock in a cruel tease. I want you to hold my head back with both of your hands. You can move me how you please. Be a little rough with me. Crowley punctuates each sentence with his mouth on Ezira's throat. You'd like that? Izira asks, surprised. Crowley always comes off as in charge, confident and a little flirtatious with everyone he meets. There's a magnetic force field around him that draws the eyes of onlookers, and Izira has always been attracted to his sheer force of will. He didn't know Crowley has this submissive streak in him, but now that he does, it's an overwhelming thought. Crowley hums into his neck. I do, he says. Would you like that? Izira's instinct is to say, I don't know, but the vision plays out in his head, Crowley on his knees, fingers tangled in that wild red hair, fucking with abandon. Hi, he says, hips stuttering, cock flushed and red between their bodies. He lifts his hips upward, snaking a hand around Crowley's waist to pull him down, seeking more friction and contact. Yes, yes, I'd like that. What else would you like? And suddenly his imagination is endless as he creeps closer to the edge of orgasm. 
He bites his lip and rocks upward, his breath coming in short, shallow moans. I want you to touch me. How? Um, with your hands, your fingers. Where? It's like a magic trick. Crowley pulls the words out of him despite the hot shame engulfing him, adding to the tension in his body. In me, he tells him, voice low and rough. I want you to use them to open me up. It's not the same when I'm by myself. I want to know what it feels like to have you there. Fuck, Crowley says with a moan. His hips thrust into Izira's palm, cock heavy and slick. Do you touch yourself thinking about me? Izira nods. Yeah, you know I do. Crowley's voice goes raspy and hoarse, hips moving in earnest. I think about you too. Oh, oh, God, I want to fuck you. And that sparks a fire in Izira, a hot flame that draws his body in tight before releasing, his orgasm rushing through him, untouched beyond the slick of Crowley's stomach. He paints him with his cum, bucking upwards. He's out of focus and light-headed as he comes down from the high, his hand gone slack on Crowley's cock, who looks at him with wide eyes and mouth parted, straining between their bodies. Crowley reaches down to take himself in hand, lifting up and back on his knees as he pulls himself off in rough strokes. He's loud when he comes in thick stripes across Izira's belly, hips jerking with stilted thrusts. And Izira can only stare, stomach jumping and cock twitching with want despite being spent. Hmm, he says when Crowley flops over next to him. I just took a shower. How terrible. I guess you'll have to share mine. Then Crowley leans over and places a soft kiss to the side of his cheek. Almost delicate. He stays there, nose pressed against skin, voice soft. You know, we don't have to do anything you don't want. I just want to make you feel good. Ezira sighs. All the tension that bled out of him with his orgasm comes back, ratcheting back upwards. That's not really the issue, he says. I just don't know what I want to do. I'm not very experienced in the matter. Crowley trails his fingers down Izira's chest, skimming through the mess he's left there. He's quiet for a moment before exhaling a breath. 
I'm not as big of a hotshot as you think I am. At least not with men as much. Unless do handies in the back of a cab count. Wait, really? Isira asks. How many? He starts to ask before saying, not that it matters. Crowley's face does something complicated, shoulders tensing for a moment before he shrugs. I've had a couple of hookups here and there. There was one guy I slept with several times, but uh, it didn't really work out. And anyway, it's different with everybody, and I'm not worried about everyone else. I want to know you. Something in Ezira's chest eases. He turns on his side and kisses Crowley with a long, deep press that rends a moan from his mouth. I'd like to try penetration with you, he says. But maybe start slow. Of course, Crowley says with a grin on his face. You're always so formal when you get nervous. Shut up. And anyway, I'm clearly spent and I haven't had any caffeine yet. A trip to the shop is in order. Or Starbucks is around the corner. Izzy rough rounds and rolls his eyes. Starbucks hardly counts as a proper establishment for tea, but he's tired and desperate enough for caffeine. He'll get to the bottom of Crowley's empty cupboards eventually. All right, you win, but I need another shower first. We could just order in, Crowley says, one hand on the door handle on their way out of his flat. He's dressed in his typical black jeans and henley and his snakeskin boots. Izira really means to ask him about them someday, why he clings on to a pair of borderline tacky shoes that have clearly passed their expiration date. You want to order in tea. He makes a pained face. Forget it. I mean, I can run to the shops and we can do something here. I can put together a mean English breakfast. Give Ezira enough time and he can even throw together a decent philo from scratch, tears and hair rending included. He catches the look on Crowley's face. It's harder to pass what he's thinking with the sunglasses on, but he has an expressive mouth, lips pressed in a thin line. Is it about us going out in public? Crowley opens his mouth and inhales, but pauses before he speaks. Then he clucks his tongue. Not really. I mean, this is an issue since everyone threw such a stink last time, but I just hate going out. Ezira frowns. 
he's starting to get a better picture of how Crowley spends his days between events. He gestures at the kitchen with its empty cupboards and refrigerator. Do you just get takeaway for every meal? Crowley shrugs. Unacceptable. Let me cook dinner for you tomorrow night. Why not tonight? Because first you need some halfway decent cookware and food to cook. Crowley grumps before pulling his cap down over his head. He chooses something nondescript today that doesn't scream flash bastard or fancy-as-fuck race car driver and then tucks the door open, gesturing for him to pass through. It's just... Izira trails off as he steps into the corridor. There's nothing about your place that screams you. It's designer, yes, but it feels a little cold and lonely, and he hates the thought of Crowley sitting in it by himself. He thinks of his tiny apartment in Patras. Being a Formula 2 driver wasn't luxurious by any means. There wasn't a need for tax evasion in Monaco or garage space for his supercar, but the place has life to it, a little studio that looks over the Aegean Sea where he can hear the seagulls in the morning and smell salt on the wind. He hasn't spent much time there this summer at all, and he misses it. Even the generic two-bedroom apartment he shares with Raff in Kentucky has slowly moved from whitewashed walls and beige carpet to piles of books that line his bed and a row of shot glasses from every city they've visited lined up on the counter. So far, he's found a copy of The Odyssey in the language of every country they've been to. Japan will be a challenge, he thinks, Singapore more so. But Crowley's flat has artwork on the wall fit for a hotel lobby, generic and nondescript. He doesn't have a single bookshelf and his desk is bare except for a dusty iMac and a pen. The throne is a questionable choice, but at least it's different. Where are your things? he asks. Uh, I don't have things. Well, we'll have to change that, he says, punching the down button to the lift. On the street, they traverse by foot to the Starbucks two blocks down. If Ezira has learned anything during his travels, the books may come in different languages and the alcohol has its own distinct flavor, but every Starbucks looks the same wherever they go. It's filled with busy mums on their phones with a toddler on their hip, businessmen and women in crisp suits and sharper shoes shouting into their earpieces, and teenagers behind the counter who keep glancing at the clock, counting down the hours. Earl Grey, please, he tells the barista. 
Room for cream and sugar. Triple shot espresso for me, Crowley says beside him, pulling out his wallet. Black. He ignores Izira's lifted eyebrow. They take their drinks outside, and Izira coughs at the first sip, boiling hot and not nearly steeped enough, but God, is he desperate. He's too consumed in his beverage to notice the silence until Crowley shifts on his feet, clearing his throat. <clears throat> Look, I'm not great at decorating. I don't have the eye for it or the patience, he says, looking off down the street. Bees found the place for me after I moved from Milan. They hired the realtor and dealt with the contractors. They managed the sale and arranged the interior decorator. He has a pinched look on his face like he wants to say more, but his era steers the conversation away in a feeble attempt to ease some of the strain in his posture. Bees' tastes are bleak. Crowley snorts and doesn't disagree. He nudges Izira with his shoulder. You could fill it with your things. I could. Isn't that a thought? Izira blinks for a moment, imagining bringing his books over and his grandfather's old snuff box. But you should have things of your own, too. Well, I have you, don't I? Izira gives him a thoughtful look, a glint of mischievousness in his eyes and around the corners of his lips. Should I be afraid? Crowley asks. I have a plan. Uh Uh-huh, that's concerning. He takes another sip of his tea sighing into the warmth as his plot takes shape in his head. Trust me, I'm the brains of this operation. You let me do the work. Izira drags him back up to the flat. They really should go for a run or use Crowley's small in-home gym, but he feels the remnants of jet lag still and wants another day of rest before returning to the grueling regime of running, lifting and training. It's all the more frustrating that Crowley stays so lean now that he knows his diet consists of a 100% takeout when he's off the track. Izira has no shame about his body. It's strong and resilient and he can outlift Sandalf on any day, much to his teammates' loathing, but a heavy driver means a heavy car, which means no ice cream after dinner or going for the deep dish pizza. This all fits neatly into his scheme, however, to cook dinner for Crowley tomorrow. He'll allow the fish and chips tonight, but he means to make a proper meal, one worth of the time it takes to make, one that even his toddler of a boyfriend won't mind consuming. 
Isira enjoys things that take time, that require his hands and his brain and a methodology, and cooking falls under all of these categories. He's desperate to do it all in Crowley's state-of-the-art kitchen with quadruple the counter space as his apartment in Patras. But first, he steers a recalcitrant Crowley onto his couch, a stiff leather sectional that hurts when he throws them both down on it. Then he turns on the TV and opens up Netflix. Beside him, Crowley snorts and throws an arm around Ezira's shoulder, adapting a low and husky voice that is less sexy and more embarrassing. Hey, baby, he says, lifting an eyebrow. Wanna Netflix and chill? Does that honestly work on people? I mean, we could skip the Netflix part and move on to the chilling part. Certainly not on this couch, Ezira says in protest. This thing is hideous and uncomfortable. It's designer. Undeterred, he flips through the options until he finds his target, a little aha escaping from him. This, he says with relish as he hits play, is what you need. Crowley squints at the screen and scowls. Tidying up with Marie Kondo, he says, voice flat. Is this some reality TV shite? Along the lines of Queer Eye, yes. With a groan, Crowley rolls his eyes. Ah, uh, I don't need a makeover. No, Isira agrees. Your flat does. He's not ashamed to admit to binge-watching this when it first came out. He and Raf ran around their flat, howling, Does this spark joy? with the vehemence of dubbed Street Fighter characters as they slam-dunked their souvenir cups and t-shirts with holes in the armpits into the bin. Cleaning out the fridge had been a harrowing experience, and if they could have afforded a whole new appliance, they would have dumped the whole thing over the balcony. Do you still need seven different Mickey Mouse straws? He had asked. Raph had won from every time he'd been with his family to Disney World in a variety of colors and he waved them in his face. Do you still need your Anthony Crowley poster? Raph asked. Izira threw his spit-stained shirt at his face. Breaking from his reverie, Crowley nudges him with his elbow. What's that weird look on your face for? Huh? Oh, nothing, he shushes him. Crowley ends up hating it less than expected, despite the frown on his face and his crossed arms. Still, he's not without complaints by the end of the first episode. I don't see what this has to do with me. I don't hoard things. 
Isira rolls his eyes and stands up, yanking on his arm to follow him. He drags him over to the wall and points at a garish painting in a gold frame, a spatter of greens and oranges and blues that are meant to be abstract. Yeah, but do you actually like this thing? I don't dislike it. I'm hardly ever here. What does it matter? He gives him a pained look. I always look forward to coming home, he says. Maybe it's the introvert in him who would rather curl up with a good book and a cup of tea than go out, but there isn't a bed more comfortable than his old mattress with the soft, worn cotton sheets. Even Crowley's luxurious Tempur-Pedic bed with a built-in cooling system can't compare to pressing his face into his favorite pillow. The most expensive silk pajamas couldn't compare to his dad's old Grace National jersey that he doesn't dare travel without. It might be trite, but he likes his things. Show me something you like, then, he says, switching tactics. Crowley is on edge, his posture stiff, though Ezira takes it as a good sign that he's still willing to entertain him. They walk into the office, and for one brief moment, Ezira's afraid that he'll point at his hideous throne, but instead he leads them to a chest up against the wall with a small, shallow black box. He opens the lid to reveal a turntable and then pulls open the drawer underneath, revealing a carefully organized collection of vinyl. Ezira catches his eye before reaching in and pulling out a signed copy of Purple Rain. It's in rough condition, obviously not mint, like Crowley found it in a record store amongst a trove of hidden treasures. He reaches for another one by Marvin Gaye, James Brown and Parliament. You like funk? he asks, surprised. You're the whitest, most English person I've ever met, and you like funk. He regrets saying it immediately when Crowley sucks in a breath. Not just that he says, and then adds, I spent £3,000 on a signed copy of Yellow Submarine, like he needs to justify himself. It catches Ezera off guard. A lot of these are worn and used, records that Crowley has put on time and time again, vinyls that maybe were hand-me-downs from his parents or finds in consignment stores around the world. He imagines him stepping into record shops the way he does bookstores and can't help the soft look on his face. You need these on display, somewhere accessible, on a shelf, so you'll actually listen to them. He runs his fingers through a layer of dust on the top of the armoire. 
Let's put something on. Crowley frowns, but sifts through the records with ease, in search of something particular, casting a glance at Ezera from above his sunglasses. He snaps his fingers when he finds what he's looking for. Neither funk nor oldies, but a classic all the same. Queen? He shrugs. Who doesn't like Queen? By all means. Sliding it out of the sleeve, he sets the record on the platter and drops the needle without hesitation, the first wafting notes of A Night at the Opera coming from the speaker. Crowley catches Izira's surprised look and grins. Didn't know it could sound so good, huh? If you get the right machine, vinyl still has the best sound. Really? Really? Digital files are compressed to save space, but not vinyl. Vinyl has warmth to it the way that the radio can't. Ezira looks at the fond expression on Crowley's face, the looseness to his shoulders once the music is in full swing and can't help the swell of affection he feels. He leans over and kisses him on the mouth, catching him by surprise. The little sound Crowley makes comes from deep in his chest, a satisfied groan sparking a flare of heat in Ezira's gut. You're so distracting, Ezira tells him. I'm on a mission here. He pulls back and points at the solid red rug on the floor. What is the deal with this ugly thing? Shush! Crowley rolls his eyes and pulls him back in. Bees put it there. Yeah, but... I don't want to talk about bees right now. Crowley draws him in for another kiss pressing their hips together. It's searing and sweet and makes the room blur around the edges with its intensity. I have a better idea. You have my attention. How about I put on a little Marvin Gaye and we take this to the bedroom, huh? It should be corny, but maybe that's the point. Izira never imagined being wooed with sensual music. The lights turned low, never mind the lights are always low in Crowley's flat. He never imagined being the sole focus of someone's attention and certainly not from someone as lovely and arousing as Crowley. One request, he says. Now that he has this, he might as well go all out. I'd like a glass of wine with you first. And a dance. Crowley's eyebrows shoot up, but he relents when Ezira starts asking pointed questions again, this time about his curtain choices in the office. All right, if it gets you to shut up. 
You'll have to sweep me off my feet if you want to deter me from my project. Izira teases. He's bubbling over with giddiness. Maybe it's the thrum of the music or Crowley's hands on his waist, the sly, determined look in his eyes that catches on his mouth and softens. Crowley's fingers tighten and he draws him in again. Oh, that can be arranged, he says with a growl. <laughs>